1: Hi, I'm Rick Henderson and I'm the host of the Pocket Limp podcast this week. It's a busy one for sure, with Samsung hosting an online-only Galaxy Unpacked presentation to launch the Z Fold 3, Z Flip 3, Watch 4, Watch 4 Classic and, stops to draw breath, the Samsung Galaxy Buds 2 true wireless in-ears. Our reviews editor Mike Glow will join me in a bit to discuss the new devices, especially as he's been in a room with all of them to get a good fondle. Then we switch to gaming, with an interview regular host Stuart Miles had with legendary game designer Tetsuya Mizuguchi, the brain behind the extraordinary Rez, Space Channel 5, Lumines and Tetris Effect, about his connection with the Virtual Realms video game sensory exhibition. And finally, Pocket Link contributing editor Max Freeman-Mills will give us his initial thoughts on Back for Blood, the co-op zombie shooter coming in October. But first, back to Mike. And Samsung's ironically packed, unpacked event. So, Mike, uh, what exactly was launched and what do you think of the new product lineup? Loads of stuff.
2: So, where to begin? Um, this was pretty much a showcase for um, the new foldable devices. So, that's kind of a two-tier thing. There's the, the Fold 3, Z Fold 3, sorry, which is the one the And then there was the Z Flip 3, which is kind of the more clamshell sandwich-like device um and in addition there was a couple of watches the watch 4 and the watch 4 classic and the galaxy buds 2 the the, uh, in-ear wireless earphones so lots and lots of things to see and touch and think and talk about
1: we'll get to the actual devices in a minute um i know that you've actually gone hands-on with most of the devices haven't you
2: yeah, I mean, I've, I've touched them all. I, d- I didn't put the buds in my ears because uh, there was about thirty people around, and it's not really the place for it. But I've had a little play around with all the phones, and uh, rather good fun they are as well because they just, you know, they're foldables. And, and although it's an emerging market, still they're just a bit more exciting than seeing like a normal phone. Um, it just has a real kind of futuristic feeling about it in in many regards. So. Yeah, it's nice to see that kind of section of the market evolving a bit, I think, really.
1: One thing I took from the actual Unpacked Unveiling uh, event, which was an hour long, online only, was very swish, certainly, and ended with a peculiar song and dance routine. But the actual um, uh, family of devices together kind of shared a design note. And to me, it felt like Samsung is going in a slightly new direction. And it's all rather exciting. Um, well,
2: I wouldn't necessarily entirely agree with you because um, <laughs> the two phones, they're not massively different to the last generation ones. So they've obviously done a very good job of, of selling it to you there. Um, that's not to say they've not advanced, but roughly speaking, so the, the Z Fold 3, for example, when you unfold it, it's a massive 7.5 inches on diagonal, diagonal um, and the screen on the inside, ignoring the fact there's slight changes it's the same screen as before. Um, same with the Z Fold 3 as well, same same screen there. So they've not really pushed um, certain screen technologies forwards. Um, that said, the Z Fold 3 does have a what they call an under-panel camera um, on that main screen. So it kind of hides the, the camera away. And when there's like a colourful image over the top, you really don't notice it. And that, although it's quite a small thing, it just makes the whole visual across that massive panel just like really rather impressive
1: i'm also impressed by the spm support um it, it obviously there was a, there was one video during the event um that showed how hard it was to create the uh, magnetic back panel to work across a foldable device because obviously you can't bend the the magnetic panel and they used two panels in the end Mm. Um, but what I was impressed by is the fact that the S Pen doesn't sort of like stop in the middle part. So when you when you open the device, it all works. There's no sort of like um, you can draw on one side and the other side. You can just, just draw on the whole thing as if it is a tablet device. I'm really impressed by that. Do you think that means it's the end of the Note series?
2: Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about this because... Um... It's hard to say for sure. Like I, I thought the signs were certainly beginning to point to that because do we need a note anymore? I mean, you know, the note is so similar to to the Galaxy S series as well. Um, it, it maybe there's room for everything because you know a busy market is something a lot of manufacturers push and it, and it can work. Um, this, I mean, so the S Pen support for for the Fold is is brand new as well. And actually, you're right, it is. A big move um in a new direction for, for that device particularly um, and getting that to work obviously is tricky sadly i didn't get to, to use the, the S pen so um i've not been able to play around with with how well it will or won't work um but there is a specific pen just for that device that only works with it so they've definitely really thought through it um as a, a real sort of unique selling point for that product um, yeah, I I would like to see another note, but like I say, do we really need it? Perhaps not now because you've got the super advancement of fold showing off what you can do in in foldables. And then really, to be honest, you could get away with just having um an S pen with the with the Galaxy uh S series and and I think there's not much need in between.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree. Um the Z we'll briefly touch on the Z flip because it's for a very different kind of market, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um so when I was writing about this, I was kind of thinking back through sort of the history of folding phones. You think back 15 odd years ago, um, different brand. Motorola had their, their Razer V3 um, and then Motorola obviously relaunched that 15 years later, back in 2019. Um, in it was one of the first foldable phones we ever saw. And that was in that kind of sandwich clamshell format. Um, there's been a second gen one of that as well. And although it's fun, it's like there's great aspects about that device. I think what Samsung quite sort of cannily did was introduce a similar device. It's, it's different, obviously, um, in the Z Flip. And in many ways, it's actually a little bit more refined and a bit better in the, in the way it's designed. Um, the idea of this, I kind of see it as filling in a different market for someone who, say, might not want to wear a smartwatch. So when the device is closed, there's a screen on the front very small, it's 1.9 inches, but you can't see it because they've really hidden it away nicely in this design. Um, and you can kind of use it for your notifications, you can swipe through, you can you know, do whatever you like. And if you then need to, you can flip the phone open and it's basically a normal 6.7 inch smartphone, just like any other. Um, but I quite like the way it removes perhaps that idea of needing to have a smartwatch on. You could just leave this sat on your desk and it's got that mini screen so you don't have to be distracted. Won't suit everyone, but, um, you know it's got a different kind of angle to it and actually with this one particularly the z flip 3 um, they brought the price down so again pretty canny because now it's pretty much bang on what you'd pay for any flagship phone in this area um, and therefore it's kind of the big question of oh you could have a foldable instead again won't suit everyone but actually it's really putting that into a, a mainstream proposition i think that's quite exciting
1: I think on uh, speaking of smartwatches, of course we had the the smart uh, the Galaxy Watch Four and Galaxy Watch Four Classic.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: what's what's the difference between those two? Uh, it's pretty much uh, down to the fact the Classic
2: has a rotational bezel for control, um, but it also has all the same other features. So there's still two control buttons. You can touch the screen. Um, also, the materials are different. So the Classic is stainless steel rather than aluminium. Um the band is slightly different because it's more, as the name says, classic. The other one's more sporty focused basically. Um and actually the case sizes are slightly different as well. So both come in two sizes. Um, but the watch four is forty mil and forty-four, I believe, and then the classic is forty two and forty six mil. Um but the features for ignoring the, the materials, all the features are identical. So you don't you don't gain or lose any kind of functionality ultimately.
1: Um, and finally, uh, there was the Galaxy Buds Two, which you said that you couldn't really test too much. Um, they seem nice. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, these <laughs> things often seem like a bit of an, not an afterthought, but you know, it's launched among so many massive products. It's like, oh, we've got some earbuds as well. But actually, they're well priced. They're they're smaller and lighter than ever before. Um, they come with active noise cancellation um little cute square case some fun colors i photographed them in lavender which um actually look quite nice um and yeah i mean it just it fits into the ecosystem ultimately if you've got the watch and then you've got one of these phones and then you've got the buds you can use samsung systems uh, a bit like apple's it just communicates immediately with everything so you know you flip your phone open boom you've got your buds connected immediately um the watch syncs with everything, so the watch knows you know what you might want to do with opening Spotify um, on your phone, and then it will go straight to your watch. so You can control that, um, and you can now do that offline with the watch as well, which is quite quite clever if you don't have your phone with you. So yeah, it's it's kind of just making that complete ecosystem, and I think this is kind of although Samsung is very much Android, it's also very Samsung. So if you're not into the whole Apple thing, this is quite a complete system, and I think they've done that really well.
1: Still to come, Max tells us what he thinks of Back for Blood having played a beta version on the PlayStation 5.
4: Um, they do have a slight tendency to shoot you in the back a little bit while they try and shoot zombies, but the other thing is they're still a few months before release so it's entirely possible that that will get ironed out uh, before the game comes out. Now
1: though, Stuart caught up with games industry legend Tetsuya Mizuguchi to talk about his part in putting together a sensory exhibition on video games for the Barbican in London. It has also started its global tour, stopping in Singapore and Australia through to March 2023. So the conversation is a fascinating insight into how gaming can transcend from a living room experience into a more conventionally artistic format. Stuart started the conversation by asking how the exhibition came about and how the visionary designer went about curating the experiences.
3: So, uh, original concept... um made by uh, Patrick Moran and uh, Barbican uh, stuff and uh, I got a offer from them uh, to create new type of big Vision. Uh, and um, the concept is um, you know the game is game itself it's a game is a very unique form this is an experiential kind of a media global media and um, you know, the making experience. And also, media art. Uh, Media art is like, uh, you know, technology art, including experiential, new type of, you know, the making experience. So uh, the idea is if game designers and the game artists work with uh, media artists artists and the media designers, what kind Mm. of a new type of experience we can create? So, and uh, yeah, that is uh, the basic concept and uh, we list, uh, we have to list uh, some game artists and the designers who maybe, you know, um, uh, who can have some, the, that kind of a vision and, uh, you, you know, uh, interested in, in that kind of a creation. And also we have the list of the media designers and the artists And uh, we started to talk with them. And uh, finally we had uh, six commissions of virtual realms.
5: And what's been your, uh, I know this might be a difficult question, but what's been the favorite part of, of putting the exhibition together?
3: Favorite part, I felt this is a wonderful thing because game, game designers and the media artists, uh, doing a very similar thing, you know, using technology and then making that new expression and a new experience. So, but, um, I never have that kind of, you know, collaborations, you know, the making some new type of art together. Mm. So, and, uh, also, you know, I'm a game designer and like, you know, and uh, I wanted to create together with the media artist people, they're using the new tech, but this is not game, you know, this is the interactive, this is the experiential thing, but um, totally new thing. They're using the game mechanism. So each commission has uh, themes and uh, the basic games, this is a kind of an archetype, and uh, using the very basic game design from the each games. Uh, like my commission, uh, I use Res the game, and the Res has a mechanism, you know, sound effects getting the music, and the music react with the visual thing, and it's getting a synesthetic experience so that kind of mechanism we apply to the new experience the using new tech outside of the games so yeah that that kind of things was you know fantastic
5: mm-hmm. for
3: me and for everybody yeah hopefully yeah I, I think so.
5: Now, one of the things that you're kind of renowned for within your game designs is something that a term that many people might not know of is, and I can't, I'm not sure if I can say it properly anyway, is synesthesia? <laughs> synesthesia, yes. Synesthesia. How do you, do you feel that's that's influenced what you've done with within the virtual realms and, and also is that something that you, you know you take you feel it feels that that's kind of at the forefront of, of, of many of your games, whether it's space Channel 5 or res or, or even Luminous or, or
3: other things mm-hmm. So in my commission in um, the experiences four experiences can have uh, spheres this is kind of a, a the board type of shape device including haptics, and LED lights, and sensors. And uh, you can move this spheres in the space freely. And uh, that spheres, um, yeah, making some sounds, like the beat sounds like a dun, 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 that kind of sounds, very minimal sounds first. And if you move that, the sound effects change. You know, If you bring that sphere up, the sound effects like you know, dun, 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 like that. And uh, you, if you move that, this is kind of a the new type of uh, sound, ex- I guess say in instruments. Mm. So the sound instruments, uh, the making the sounds and with LED flashing, and you feel the haptics. And the, the haptics is not simple vibration. You feel some sound texture also. And uh, also uh, the visual is projecting to the floor, down to the floor. And uh, if you have some um, interaction with some object and you get a sound and the visual effects, and, and also you, can connect that sphere to the other other people's spheres that means making the resonance together, so this is like a, the music uh kind of a groove and the music sessions, so the sound getting, getting gorgeous like you know uh, yeah if you connect with the two people, the beat is getting you know it's uh complex and uh beat is much more, you know, the higher, and sure. if you connect with three people and four people, making the much bigger resonance with sound and visual. So this is the mechanism. Yeah.
5: Do you think in the latest round of, of of consoles, the Xbox, you know, Series X and S and, and the PlayStation Five seem to mm-hmm. put a quite a big focus on haptics and the idea yeah. of of you know sensory kind of feedback as you play. Do you feel that's opening up new avenues for you to experiment and explore within your game designs?
3: Yes, definitely, yes. You know, so haptics ex- is getting HD means, you know, feel textures, not like, you know, the simple pause anymore. Mm. So, and um, like a PS5 controller, you know, you have two Haptics inside, you know, L and R. So that means two points, the making makes you feel uh, like um, kind of a new type of three dimensional haptics feel, right? Not just only one, you know, this is a multiple haptics making, yeah, very spatial experience. So If you have, you know, the three, four, I don't know, you know, (laughs) but some, the new haptic devices, if you have, you know, like a wearable thing and yeah, it's like a a synesthesia suits, you know, our synesthesia suits has 26 actuators. (laughs) And uh, if you, you know, you imagine, you know, if you're wearing that kind of a haptics, like suits, and moving in 3D, and uh, if you have the VR headset, and if you move and something moving in 3D with sound and haptic, and if you can interact them, totally new type of experience. So, yeah, also we have uh, Synesthesia X1. This is a chair type, uh, 44 haptics chair. Right. also, we have an experiment you know, using that, and uh, it's very you know stronger than uh, the controller one. So very strong HD haptics. You know, if you have forty-four HD strong haptics and they're moving on your body, yeah, this is a totally new experience. So that kind of a future, you know, is <laughs> uh, <it's> unlimited. <laughs> yeah
5: without being cheesy it sounds very touching (laughs) in that that approach so you've worked in the industry a long time you know you started out with sega rally uh, and then have moved on through various games what's what's been your favorite genre within the within those within the games that you've worked on to to you've enjoyed the most is it is it driving is it more you know experimental immersive stuff is it kind of you know, I know you were involved in, in Shimui and, and a number of Dreamcast titles. You know, which one of which kind of genre have you enjoyed the most?
3: I enjoyed the, every genre. Uh, this is a, to be honest. Yeah, this is the the best answer to me because arcade, like including the racing game, that mm-hmm. was a, that was a, you know. Um, no format you can create any type of format if you want you know if you want if you want to put some new haptics in arcade game we could do that so this is not like a, you know the typical format mm. so this is a freedom for creation and also i really enjoy to produce reds you know, that was a really tough process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, um, you know, nobody made that that kind of type of experience. And uh, that was very challenging and uh, very artistic approach. But I learned a lot from that. You know, what is the the mechanism of the sound and the music and uh, why we feel good to interact the sounds and why we have groove and the chemistry of the sound and the rhythm. Why and from where? That kind of a, you know, why, why, why? And okay, let's make some test and the prototyping and break and build again. You know, that kind of process was really fun, but tough. (laughs) You know, know. finally (laughs) we could find something. So, but, yeah, yeah, that kind of process is all the time. It's fun. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah.
5: And and the final question I have is is what's next?
3: Next, uh, uh, next, I want to talk a lot, but <laughs> yeah, I can't say the detail yet. But um, I want to dig into, and uh, my team wants want to dig into the new frontier, you know, of synesthesia. And uh, yeah, so what is the next of, um, for example, you know, the Resident Infinite, we put a new area called the Area X. And uh, so we tried VR experience. And now if, you know, we make the next of the Resident Infinite, What kind of things? Or would you make the new synesthesia experience over the Tetris effect? What kind of things? So, and uh, finally we got a new platform and a technology like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, next generation, you know, PS5 or Xbox Series X or S type of, you know, platform. So, if we see that console, you know, as uh, audio visual synthesizer, what kind of a new experience we can create? So, yeah, it's very. Ex- we are very excited about that, and uh, yeah, every day, there's a new fresh inspirations, and uh, we are trying the many things and experiments. Yeah.
1: Now on to our weekly review, or preview in the case of Back for Blood, coming in October for console and PC. The co-op four-person shooter builds on the heritage of the classic Left for Dead and its sequel. Max Freeman Mills has been playing a closed beta with chums to find out if it can live up to such lofty ambitions.
4: It's an interesting package. Yeah, that's right. There's a there's a few different beta tests running in the ne- in the next few weeks actually um, before it releases in October. Um, And as you say, very much a spiritual sequel to Left 4 Dead in everything but name, although they've still managed to squeak that four in there to make sure people do know. Um, And to be honest, it's looking like quite a good time. Um, The beta lets you play only a couple of levels. So I don't necessarily know how amazing all of the maps are gonna be, but it's a pretty generous slice of content that you're allowed to play at the moment. Um, And it's very much the Left 4 Dead template. You play on a team of four survivors, making a journey from point A to point B um, and getting hindered the whole way by zombies um, of a normal variety and also of sort of various special varieties. Um, And the shooting is good fun. It's kind of tightened up quite a lot since we played it about six months ago in an alpha version, which is always nice to see. Um, And yeah, I think anyone who liked the Left 4 Dead games, which obviously haven't had a a third one come out, sadly... Um, is almost certainly going to have quite a good time with this, um, partly because it's going to hit Game Pass on day one, which is you know yet another advert for, for Microsoft service, which just gets better and better value every day. I think it's a perfect Game Pass game, one to download and try out with a few friends if you can, see if it sticks for you. Um, those of us who aren't necessarily on Xbox will have a little bit more of a decision to make, I think. So going back a, a slight touch it's a four player co-op
1: um sh- uh, first person shooter against uh zombies obviously and it's going to be available for pc xbox and playstation
4: yeah that's right yeah it's hitting all the big consoles won't make it to the switch for graphical reasons which is no surprise Um, And we played it on PS5, actually, Uh, and it was looking really great on PS5, I have to say. Really smooth, um, high resolution and kind of nice fog effects, because like any good zombie movie, quite a lot of this does take place at night to really amp up the atmosphere. Um, Yeah, you play on a team of four and there are are two main modes to explore. The first, as I say, is kind of point A to point B, trying to push through maps and just uh, seeing how far you can get and ideally completing those campaign missions. The other is a versus mode, which has kind of prompted a little bit of ire from some Left 4 Dead fans, I think slightly unfairly. Left 4 Dead had a really fun, successful versus mode where it was still a kind of A to B journey. But the four survivors played against a team of four special infected players who could kind of uh, cooperate and ambush them and try and stop them. That's not what uh, Back 4 Blood brings to the table. Its versus mode is instead more like a horde mode from kind of Gears of War or any other number of games. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's still good fun. In my opinion, it's entirely fair enough that, you know, it's not offering the exact same package of uh, features as a Left 4 Dead game on account of it not being a Left 4 Dead game. Um, that said, I think it's always interesting to see whether a horde mode can capture your attention for quite the same amount of time or whether it starts to get a bit samey when you've done it a few times. Um, so, yeah, the package is slightly different from Left for Dead, but I think entirely entirely interesting on its own right. So what did you get to play in the closed beta? What modes? So I've had access to both versus and campaign modes. I've spent most of my time in campaign, I have to say, partly because it's what kind of captured me a bit more. Um, And you get to play most of one of the full campaigns. Um, I think there are going to be four or five when the game releases, each divided into chapters. So each chapter is a kind of contained map where you start in a safe room at the beginning and you have to make your way to a safe room at the end but along the way you'll encounter obstacles and sort of things you need to clear out of the way and generally speaking a few moments where some loud noise is completely unavoidable and will attract a huge horde of zombies for you to fight off before you can continue Um, so that's the campaign mode And and then versus you're in one location just fighting off waves of zombies over time um, and that's something that is a bit new for zombie shooters that I've played recently, um, but it still had its own fun um, entirely, I'd say. Um, another big difference I should point out uh, compared to Left for Dead, in my experience, is that Valve's old shooters were quite limited on how many weapons you had. It was quite a simple game in many ways, whereas Back for Blood is bringing a much more expansive range of weapons and also a whole new attachment system. So you can really mix and match what you're bringing to the table in terms of firepower. And that also means that as you move through a level, you'll encounter weapons on the floor that might have different attachments or different sort of attributes. You might find yourself swapping up your strategy on the fly, which makes for quite a fun sort of changeable uh, approach, which I which I kind of enjoyed as I played through. Um, As well as four player co-op, is it possible to play it in single player? You can play with oh. bots, yep. Um, and you can sort of uh, also tune the difficulty of the the zombies you're facing. So if you wanted to play on your own, you can have a team of bots and run through just to kind of learn the ropes and get your handle on the map. Uh, I can't necessarily say that the bots impressed me massively with their intelligence, which is nothing new for games. Um, they do have a slight tendency to shoot you in the back a little bit while they try and shoot zombies. But the other thing is there's still a few months before release. So it's entirely possible that that will get ironed out uh, before the game comes out. Um, having said that, you will need to have an online connection, even if you're playing solo with bots, uh, which you know may be an issue for some people.
1: So basically, um, just finishing up, what's your initial impressions of Back for Blood?
4: I mean, it's really handy that Left 4 Dead One and Two exist because if you've played those games, I would definitely give Back for Blood a try, especially if you really liked them. Um, if you're on Xbox and you've got Game Pass, definitely give it a try when it comes out in October. I think it looks like a really fun cooperative shooter there aren't actually as many of those on the market as you sometimes think there might be. So I'm really looking forward to sort of sinking my teeth into the the full game when it does come out. And that's it for this week's
1: show. Thanks for listening. Until next time,
0: tatty bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.